Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed at work while also raising children. My name is Lori Mahalik-Levin. I'm a healthcare lawyer. I'm the founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps new parents transition back to work after parental leave and helps employers retain their new parent top talent. And I'm mama to two wonderful redheaded boys who finally, after 13 months, went back to school this week. So we are quite excited in our household. Um, I'm joined today by my co-host and amazing husband, Jason Levin. Jason, welcome. Thank you, Lori. And welcome, everyone. My name is Jason Levin, or as I like to say, I am Lori Mahalik Levin's husband. For the past 10 years, I've been a career business development and outplacement coach with Ready, Set, Launch, LLC, where I help my executive clients make career transitions, get promotions, and land their next clients. Wonderful, Jason. So in this episode, we are picking up on this podcast tradition of interviewing moms and dads in different industries and sectors. And today we're moving on to talk to a mom and uh, possibly moms who are government relations professionals specifically. And we are super excited to have Nedra Pickler, who is a partner at global public affairs firm Finsbury Glover Herring. She previously spent nearly 20 years as a reporter at the Associated Press, mostly covering presidential campaigns and the White House under Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama. She's a single mom to two sons, nine-year-old Quinn and 11-year-old Will. Welcome to the podcast, Nedra. It's so good to have you here today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Although I have to add, Jason, you you left off your bio that you're also the baseball coach for our two sons as well. So that's important. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how that didn't make it in there. You know, and I do love Will's left-handed groove as he swings and throws. And uh, I think it was two games ago where he just kept on running around those bases and we were super excited. As I, I coached third base, so it was great to see him. (laughs) Yeah. You know, these boys, they had a year and a half off baseball because of the pandemic and they love it so much. And we're so happy to be back, but it also kind of shows that they had a year and a half off. So we're getting back (laughs) in the groove. Yes. Every practice, every game, we're dusting a little rust off and we're reminded that uh, practice, practice, practice is the name of the game in baseball. Well, I think the professional teams are a little rusty too. The other night, Jason was watching and he made the potentially offensive comment that the scores in the professional games were looking a little bit more like Little League. (laughs) (laughs) Numbers in the teens. Oh boy. Um, So on from baseball, uh, Nedra, I'd first love for you to just tell the listeners a little bit about your own working parent story since this podcast is all about working parenthood. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. I So as you mentioned, I spent most of my career as a journalist and it was a great job. I loved it. I mostly covered presidential politics. So I was on the campaign trail in the 2004 and 2008 campaigns and I covered the White House under President George W. Bush and President Obama. That is not a lifestyle that is very conducive to being a parent, I will say. It was very exciting and I loved it, but it was very fast paced. I was out on the road a lot, traveling around the country during the campaigns and around the world covering the White House. So I did step away a little bit from that once I decided to have my children for a couple of years. And so during Barack Obama's first term in the White House, I covered the federal courts because I just couldn't be on the run like that. In fact, I covered Obama's campaign in 2008, and I very deliberately had Will in 2009. As soon as I got off the campaign trail, my number one goal became to start a family. 
So, you know, it was, it was something where I really missed the White House, though. So I did go back after Quinn was born and covered part of Barack Obama's second term. But it was really, really challenging, you know, to kind of run around that way and have little ones at home. I did have, I will say, I have a secret weapon. I'm just going to confess it up top that has made my entire career possible. And that is my mom. She lives with us. We call her the granny nanny. Um, she, uh, we made our basement into an apartment for her. I keep her trapped down there and I don't let her leave because I so rely on her to help out. And I think probably every working parent, you know, can only do it because of the support of others. Absolutely. Yes. We happen to know your secret weapon and think that she's amazing. Um, I also just have to marvel that we live in a town where timing your children around political cycles is actually a somewhat normal thing to, to be talking about. It's just a funny concept if you're not from D.C., I suspect. Probably, but, you know, got to be done here. And Quinn then was born in 2012. And so I was able to then go back to work after the next at the White House after the next uh, presidential cycle. So it was all all done kind of deliberately, I will say. Yeah. And then maybe talk a little bit about how you made that decision to transition specifically from journalism into the government relations space. Yeah. And what I do is, I guess I would call it public affairs. And and our firm, Finsbury Glover Herring, we have a government affairs practice that's really a lot more of lobbying or federal government relations. I sit on the side that's more strategic communications, but we work very hand in hand. And are always thinking about you know, public policy from both points of view. But I was covering the White House in 2015 when the firm, which used to be called the Glover Park Group, we merged this year and changed our name. The Glover Park Group approached me uh, to see if I'd like to come work for them. And I have to say, at first, I wasn't that interested because I just loved being a reporter so much. But I also had a couple of things that I was facing personally. One And one was you know, trying to balance motherhood and frankly, probably anticipating I was about to become a single mother and trying to think through how I could even keep that up while covering the White House. Uh, Secondly, at the time, I also just was really worried about the future of the media industry. And, um, you know, there's there are a lot of trends that were very worrisome and what my future might be if I stayed in media. And so I eventually decided to go ahead and leave journalism to join this consulting firm And I did it a little reluctantly. I did it. It was the first time in my life that I made a a choice based on what I felt like I had to do, not because what, what I wanted to do in my heart. And I was, I was pretty sad about it, but I felt like really as a parent, it was the, the choice that I had to make. But here is the thing that has been great. I have actually loved my new career so much in a way that surprised me. And it's turned out to be just the greatest privilege to be able to come over and have this job. You know, I still get to think a lot about what's happening in the news, but from a different perspective. And um, I think it's really, you know, a privilege to work with a lot of clients and think about their very complex problems and how to resolve them. But to have a career that also is much more flexible and allows me, you know, to be focused on parenting at the same time. Mm. And I know you are not alone in making choices based on what we feel like we have to do, um, you know, particularly as we think about the pandemic and how many people were really pushed out of roles that they previously had because, you know, our children were home. I'm wondering, though, Nedra, what are some of the positive surprises that you encountered when you changed it, you know, into this new role and you were delighted to find things that you weren't exactly anticipating? So one thing when you're a reporter, you're always trying to get a peek behind the scenes of what's really happening, right? 
so I spent, you know, 17 years doing that, trying to pull back the curtain. And in my new role, I am very much behind the scenes. I'm backstage and I'm seeing it all. And I find that incredibly fascinating. You know, clients bring us on for a couple of reasons, two really main ones. One being when they're in crisis, we, I do a lot of crisis communications. And that has actually been quite a booming business in the last year, as you can imagine, even while the rest of the economy and a lot of other businesses, I think, have been hurt by the pandemic. Every organization in the world has been in some level of crisis in the last year and needed help on that front. And so that's one, one thing we do. The other is organizations come to us when they have an important issue that they really want to elevate. They want people talking about it more. They want public officials to be paying more attention to it. And so they come to us to get advice on how they get more attention and, and insert their issue into the conversation. Um, so one is a little bit more reactive to a crisis, the other being more proactive, but both are really fascinating. And I think it's just a great job to be able to think through these things through, be behind the scenes and you know, come up with a plan for a client to make sure that the conversation is being managed appropriately. And then also I will say the other thing, as I just referred to before, the flexibility to me as a parent, that is everything in a job that, you know, I work really, really hard, but I'm able to manage my time in a way that I couldn't, if I would have stayed at the White House and covered President Trump and had to jump every time he issued a tweet or anything, you know, you can't really just say, oh, I can't cover this right now because my kid has a performance at school. So that is the thing about this job that I probably treasure the most. Yeah, I think uh, there's lots of data on correlations between autonomy, flexibility, and job satisfaction, definitely. And, you know, I think that leads nicely into my next question for you, which is, how would you describe what it's like to be a parent in public affairs and government relations these days? You mentioned flexibility. Is there anything else that you think is characteristic of your industry as it relates to working parenthood? I think definitely in the pandemic, I've been especially grateful that this is just a job that you can do from home very easily. You know, I, like everyone, have probably struggled a lot with my kids being home and trying to manage, you know, their virtual learning and my job. But I've at least had the option to do that. And I often marvel at people who are essential workers or who have to actually report for work at a remote location, how they have managed during this year. So I do think that has been critical. And I also often think how grateful I am to be doing this instead of having to, you know, run around the world as a reporter as I used to during this time. I think obviously reporters are doing very, very important work. And I have, I do have reporter friends who have children and they have, they manage brilliantly, but it's been a real luxury to be able to be here and, and do this from home. And I do think that's a permanent change in a lot of ways that I think firms like mine will be thinking about going forward. You know, how can anyone who works for you, whether they're a parent or not, be able to balance their own personal needs with their professional needs. We've learned a lot, I think, in the last year about how that can happen and, and there, that will, you know, I think, endure going forward. Right. Over to Jason to talk about maybe a little bit earlier in your parenthood journey. You know, and I love how you're talking about your own evolution from a White House reporter to crisis communications on the other side. I mean, it's a really interesting transformation on how you've leverage these natural accomplishments and skills and experiences and look at them in a different way. You know, you also have a, a very secret weapon in the basement of your house and your, your mom. What other types of workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? 
You know, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I'm going to be really honest. I think I've actually written a little about this when I was covering the White House. I really felt like there was a lot of prog. There's been a lot of progress in the last couple of decades on women taking more senior roles. But to me was what I would call a mother's glass ceiling in the White House. And very, very rare you would find women who were working as senior advisors to the president or as, you know, reporters there because of the demands that were put on you in that way. And I've written about it. And I think that did begin to change in President Obama's second term. And then also, you know, Kellyanne Conway also talked about this a lot, too, because she created a bunch of a a stir when she said the White House wasn't a place for mothers to work. And so I think that was a really controversial thing to say, but it was based in some truth in that there just had not been a lot there before. And no offense, Jason, there were fathers. (laughs) I think, you know, there was some sort of different standard there. And so, you know, I had my own difficulties there as well, including um, I actually had to wean Quinn, my younger son, to be able to continue to work at the White House because at the time there was no place to pump. Oh, wow. And that was actually, ironically, despite the fact that President Obama's signature healthcare law had required workplaces to provide space to pump. But, you know, the West Wing is a very unique place to work with very limited space. And there just wasn't anywhere to go other than a very in-demand bathroom that was being used by a lot of people. And so it was hard to tie up for 20 minutes or whatever. So I, I eventually basically had to wean him so that I could continue that job. So, you know, there were a lot of difficulties and challenges, I think, from that. And, you know, partly why I said I made a different choice eventually. You know, you you were talking about this mother's glass ceiling. What do you think would have helped you besides a lactation room? Yeah. What do you think are the essential things to help break the mother's glass ceiling uh, within the White House? One thing is the way that meetings are scheduled. And I talked to some women who work there who are mothers about this. And a lot of them didn't want to go on the record because of course they didn't want to be seen as criticizing the president or their employer, but they would talk about how there was actually under president Obama, there was a daily 5 30 PM senior staff meeting. Well, wow. if, you, if you have to pick up young children from daycare that closes at 6 PM, yes. that makes it very difficult for you to be an active member of that meeting all of the time. So, you know, a lot of federal agencies and federal buildings have childcare. That isn't something that was available at the white house. But I think even scheduling a meeting like that sends a huge message, you know, our parents really valued on the presidential staff. And so I think, um, you know, it's small things like that that employers can really be thinking about if they want to be a very inclusive place for parents. A great insight, Nedra. That's wonderful. Uh, Lori, on to you. Yeah. So if you can look forward a little bit, and I know all of this prognostication is affected a lot by the pandemic, but what changes do you see happening? in public affairs and crisis communications that are affecting working parents, even if they're not changes that are specifically targeted at working parents? Yeah, you know, I do. um, I will confess before the pandemic, I would occasionally try to do a work from home day, um, kind of off the books, you know, but 
it allowed me to really be able to, and I, you know, would try to do it on Fridays in particular to be able to have at least one day a week where I could pick my kids up from school. Mm -hmm. And also I just found being able to have one day a week where I was at home with my head down was so much more productive. And I think that is going to be, I could do that as a person who is a senior person at my firm. You know, I had the freedom to do that where others I think probably wouldn't. And I think culturally that was something that just wasn't done in a lot of places. And now, you know, hopefully we're going to all think differently about that. I think, you know, we put one thing that I issue that I work on and that I do feel really passionately about is, is paid leave. And, and the fact that it's such an embarrassment that our country doesn't have that. And I do think that's a really important thing, but I think that is just the first step. And it's actually just a really small thing. When you look at the number of years, you have to balance being a parent and being, you know, a working person. And so I think when companies look at that and how they support parents and how they support in particular, you know, having more women in the workplace, they're thinking through those kind of policies for the long term, not just the short term. We've obviously seen such a a really depressing migration of women out of the workforce during this pandemic. I think it's a challenge on all of us as we go forward to bring women back in and to have supports for caregivers, because all of us in our life, whether we're parents or not, are probably going to be in the position of being caregivers. So these policies, I think, can apply to everybody, as you said, not just parents. Yeah. Amen to all of that. And I was just reading a study that came out recently about the fact that, you know, although we're so concerned often about the economic impacts on employers of having paid leave, that the New York example is showing that there actually hasn't been a negative financial impact on employers. In fact, it sort of streamlined the entire leave process and made it more efficient for employers. So lots of good arguments to be made there. In addition to the basic humanity arguments of, you know, being able to take time off after birthing a baby. Yes. You know, you're, you're making an amazing point, Nedra, that we're all caregivers, mm -hmm. uh, whether we're parents or because our parents are living longer, that, you know, we're in between these two worlds where we're supporting multiple generations and to have a workforce and to have policies that support that, I think will just benefit all of us. I think you're hanging on a great point. Yeah, I agree. And also people in our lives who become ill too. We've seen that a lot. You know, everyone probably knows someone who's been touched with COVID during this time. But I think that also underscores when, when you have someone critically ill in your family, you also need to be able to care for them, whether, whether they're an elderly parent or a person, maybe even of middle age who needs help, a spouse, a sibling. It's just something that all of us will face at some point and hopefully we'll be past this COVID pandemic and that won't be the thing, but you know, cancer is not going away as are other illnesses. Yeah, exactly. All right. So over to you, Jason, for some of our wrap up questions here. Yeah. Nedra, you've been an awesome guest and we'd love to hear your advice on a few things. What's the number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent, your number one book and your number one piece of technology? Okay. Well, I'll start with the technology and say, I mean, right. Thank God for the iPhone, but that's too obvious. I will go to what my children have, which is the gizmo watch. Are you guys gizmo watch users? I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's fantastic. So my kids, as you said, are 11 and nine. And so they're not old enough for a phone yet in my eyes, but this watch allows me to be able to see where they are. It has a GPS tracker and it also allows them to be able to call a handful of pre programmed numbers. 
So they can't dial and call anybody, but if they do have something where they need to reach me, they can do so anytime or anybody else in their family. So I would say that is the best, especially I like letting my kids loose and free to run around the neighborhood. So that's definitely a way to keep tabs on them. That's amazing. Um, I think Jason and I are like, uh, okay, heading out to Gizmo watches. Um, Are you able to like super glue the watch to the child's arm so that, you know, the GPS tracking actually works for real? Well, I have a really funny story that um, we went to, this was probably about a year and a half ago. We went to the Maryland Renaissance Festival and my kids had their watches on and, you know, it's a crowded place where you can get lost. And my son was so distracted by it. Quinn, he decided to turn it off and then he actually got lost and and it was off. And the sweet boy never actually thought I just need to turn my watch back on and I can call my mom and she can see where I am. (laughs) (laughs) And he ended up going and finding a security guard and we were reunited. But if he would have used his technology a little bit smarter, we would, it would have been an easier situation. It doesn't um, the child to know that the watch is on. Yeah, it's on the <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, book. I'm going to say this. I have such limited time for reading that I like to do it for my own guilty pleasures. I don't read a lot of parenting books. So I would say for books, it would be something silly to read with my kids. Like, you know, I mean, they're, we love to laugh uproariously over dog man or everybody poops or something like that. You know, <laughs> I think to me, when you're a working parent, you know, it's so important to have quality time when you're with your kids because you don't have the quantity of time. Right. Yeah. And so I really try to focus our time together on, you know, having a lot of hugs and laughter and things like that. So books are a great tool for that. I would say. I love that. Well, yeah. you know, as Parents of two boys also, I think uh, potty related books uh, go a long way. So always a hit. Right. And let's be honest, we find them kind of funny, too. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I agree. Yeah. The the books in our house that I think have gotten a lot of laughs over the years have been the book with no pictures when they were little. And then um, right now, Sawyer is very into the bad guys series, which is, you know, like the big bad wolf and the shark and this Mr. Piranha. They're all evil guys who are trying to be good guys in the world, which, you know, is quite hilarious and has some funny pictures. Oh, we don't know that one. So I'm glad you've mentioned it, writing it down now. Yeah, it's a good series. Completely outlandish, lots of potty words and some good drawings. (laughs) And then for advice, my rules to live by, I think, are to, you know, as a parent, to not be too hard on yourself and maybe lower expectations a little bit, especially because I can be very much the type A perfectionist. And I think if nothing else, definitely the pandemic has taught me to take that down a notch. And that really the thing that is most important is that everybody in my family is healthy, both physically and mentally, and everything else is fine. And then secondly, I would say my other rule to live by as a parent is if you can pay someone else to do it, you know, outsource it. (laughs) Because, you know, whenever you're paying someone else to do your menial tasks, your hard jobs, you're actually buying time with your children. And that to me is the most precious thing I can spend my money on. So beautifully put. Yeah. And that physical and mental health is something that I don't think we fully appreciated as much until this year when we were losing all of the normal supports we have and the easy button that is school and all of that sort of thing. So I really appreciate that. And really, you know, that philosophy of putting on your own oxygen mask first, I mean, really the the money that you're spending is an investment in yourself and in the nourishing and the relationships with your kids. So that's fantastic. 
That is really true. And I'll just end by saying that that was a mistake I made earlier in my parenting when my kids were little, that I put everything into my job and my kids and I didn't really take care of myself the way that I should have. And, you know, I reached a breaking point with that. And it's the biggest, most successful change I've probably made as a parent is to put myself first with some of that sometimes. Mm, Amazing advice, Nedra. Thank you so much for being here with us today. This has been a really helpful conversation. I also want to get your piece. um, I know I read it a long time ago about the mother's glass ceiling in the White House and link that in our show notes. So we'll take a, a look for that as well. But thank you for being here with us today. To all of our listeners, we're grateful that you were here. Stay tuned for our next episode with more parents in uh, the government relations public affairs space. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd invite you to share it with one other working parent friend and go ahead and leave us a quick review on all the places that you normally find podcasts. Thanks so much and talk to you soon. 